Thanks for joining us for the weekend edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Barak of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Each Friday and Saturday here on In Spirit and Truth, Pastor J.D. gives a Mideast prophecy update from an Arab perspective as he connects the dots of current events geopolitically with last day's prophecies biblically. It is our belief that the next event on God's prophetic clock is the rapture of the Church of Jesus Christ. It is our hope that these Bible prophecy updates will not only ready you and steady you for His return, but that they will also encourage you to share the gospel with others in order that the rapture will not be as a thief in the night. During Pastor J.D.'s recent trip to Israel, he was able to stand in places that will be center stage in Christ's return. He'll use conversations from his journey as well as current events and biblical evidence to share exactly what's going on in the world and how close this great event likely is. Jesus is going to come back. Are you ready to meet him? Now, don't forget to stay with us after today's Prophecy Update to learn how you can become a Facebook friend or watch the weekly Prophecy Update on YouTube. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's Prophecy Update as shared on December 9th, 2018. By way of an illustration, and he asked for forgiveness for using this illustration, but the ambassador talked about how Israel is no longer the secret mistress to the Arab nations. Because now they're going public with their good foreign relations with Israel. See, up till now, what's been happening is these Arab nations are friendly with Israel, but when they get to the United Nations, they don't want anybody to know, for what would be deemed obvious reasons, because of the international backlash from the international community. Well, as the ambassador shared, no more. (laughs) It's now out in the open. About a week later, I wasn't surprised when The Times of Israel published this article about how, for the first time, Dubai, Dubai, (laughs) keep in mind these Muslim countries like Saudi Arabia, Dubai et al., you cannot even have a Bible. You cannot go to a church. By the way, man, I just, I can't even put to words in the English language, as faulty as it is, about how blessed I was to meet and get to know some of the people on this tour. There was one couple in particular that have family that are in Saudi Arabia, and they shared with me a testimony about how the body of Christ and the church in Saudi Arabia is growing by the multitudes. Saudi Arabia. You cannot have a church in Saudi Arabia. You cannot have a Bible in Saudi Arabia. And yet the church is thriving and God is blessing. Anyway, this is Dubai now. This is a Muslim country and the Jewish community is stepping hesitantly out of the shadows. In the article, they write about what the ambassador talked about, which to me, and I talked to the ambassador about this, it's significant concerning the Sunni Arab world toward Israel and the specificity of the prophecy in Ezekiel 38, verse 13, which we talk about often. I would suggest 
that the detail in verse 13 of Ezekiel 38, whereby their ancient names Sheba and Dedan, we have this reference to Saudi Arabia, and with them Tarshish and the young lions thereof, that they only protest and question this invasion of Israel with Russia, Iran, and Turkey, more on that in a moment, with this alliance of other nations with them at the helm, and they invade Israel, which suggests and indicates that at the time of this invasion, Saudi Arabia, nay, even the entirety of the Sunni Arab world against the Shiite Iran, they will have this cozy, dare I say chummy, relationship with Israel as they even now do. And this is what the ambassador was sharing with us. And actually, this ties in with another specific prophecy that we talk a lot about because it is in play today, and it is concerning Damascus, Syria, in Isaiah 17, verse 1, and a prophecy about how that Damascus will become a ruinous heap and completely destroyed, so much so that it will be uninhabitable. We did this Facebook Live prophecy update on the Golan Heights, the border of Israel and Syria, and this is exactly where all of this is going to go down. I have to say that we had way too much fun doing this, and I'm sure it was not lawful, but that's okay because we're under grace and not the law. But we did sort of this prophecy update, and we talked about the significance of this particular location. And the reason is, is that once Isaiah 17.1 is fulfilled with the destruction of Damascus, Russia, Iran, Turkey, the other nations will invade Israel from this location in the north. Even while we were there, you could hear, we're so close to Damascus, you can actually see Damascus, and you can actually hear, not Israel, that came later actually, but you could actually hear the bombs. I mean, just, it's already decimated, and soon I believe this prophecy is going to be fulfilled, and when it is, I truly believe that it will be the catalyst for the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38. What's interesting is, hours after we were there, Israel targeted sites belonging to Iranian-backed militias south of the capital of Damascus and some 50 kilometers from the border with Israel. It didn't happen while we were there, right after we left. But according to the Jerusalem Post, the IDF confirmed that fragments of a Syrian anti-aircraft missile were found in an open area in Israel's Golan Heights several hours after the Syrian regime said it had downed hostile targets over the southern part of the country the previous night. But please understand, and it's important to understand, that whenever you talk about Syria, you have to synonymously talk about Iran, Russia, and Turkey. Why? Because all three are at the ready in Syria today 
And so this is not a battle against Syria per se. It is a battle against the exact Ezekiel 38 nations vis-a-vis Syria in Isaiah 17 and Ezekiel 38. Okay, all of this took place, and we hadn't even got to Jerusalem yet, which to me was the absolute highlight of the entire trip. And the reason is, is that we were interviewed for a TV broadcast by Sammy Smaja, who's the owner of Sarel Tours and Conferences and Sarel Media. It was such an honor to be interviewed. I had the honor of first meeting him 24 years ago in 1994. It was my first trip ever to Israel. This was the highlight for me for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the centrality of Jerusalem prophetically, especially in recent days. In fact, while we were there, the UN back in New York approved six anti-Israel resolutions including two that ignored Jewish ties to the Temple Mount. The primary resolution on Jerusalem, the city that God has chosen to put His name upon, literally, Jerusalem. This primary resolution on Jerusalem that passed 148 to 11, with 14 abstentions, listen to this, also disavowed Israeli sovereignty, sovereignty in Jerusalem. Both that text and a second more global one on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which passed 156 to 8 with 12 abstentions, spoke of Judaism's most holy site, the Temple Mount, solely by its Muslim name of Al-Haram Al-Sharif. No reference to this Jewish holy site. Oh, Islam claims, it's an illegitimate claim, that Jerusalem is the third most holy site for Islam. It's a lie. It's a lie from the father of lies. You will not find the name Jerusalem even one time in the Quran. This is a lie. And yet they try to lay claim, and in so doing, they remove all legitimate claims of Judaism to the most holy site in this holy city, the city that God has chosen to put His name upon. That should tell you something. Isn't it interesting that it's not Paris, it's Jerusalem. It's not New York, it's Jerusalem. Here's how I think about it, and I know they have clinical terms for this. This is just the way my brain is wired. Pray for me. But Israel is real. Israel is real. You know why Israel is real? Because the counterfeit authenticates and validates the genuine. 
You have a counterfeit claim. You will never see a counterfeit unless there's first the genuine. This is why you don't see a $70 bill counterfeit. Why? There's no such thing as a genuine $70 bill. Again, the counterfeit authenticates and validates the genuine, and this is genuinely the land, the temple mount, belonging to the Jew. There was a third text at the UN. It was approved 99 to 10 with 66 abstentions, and it called on, can you imagine this, Israel to withdraw from the Golan Heights. Now, you remember in the Six-Day War, 1967, and then subsequently the Yom Kippur War in 1973, it's like every time the Arab nations, the surrounding peoples, if you will, attacked Israel, they got more of their land back. And then (laughs) they try to give it back so they can live in peace and security, I might add. And so they give back the West Bank, as it's called, which is really not the West Bank. And they give back part of the Golan, and they just want to live in peace. And yet they are called the occupiers. They are not the occupier. (laughs) This is their land. And all you have to do is go back into Genesis and to see the original borders, the original West Bank of the Promised Land. Do you know that if you take the Promised Land borders as outlined in Genesis, it would include parts of Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, my birthplace, Syria, and all of that surrounding area, That was the land that was given to Israel by God. So here we are. The year is 2018. We're about to welcome 2019 around the corner. And is exactly as we were told in Scripture, particularly by the prophet Zechariah, that God himself in the last days prior to the Lord's return would make Jerusalem, Jerusalem, a cup of intoxicating obsession. The world will become drunk and intoxicated and obsessed with the dividing of Jerusalem. And this is exactly what we are seeing take place today. And this is why we talk about this often in our prophecy updates. Again, Zechariah chapter 12 is the prophecy, I believe, that is also in play today. The prophetic significance of Jerusalem cannot be overstated by virtue of Jerusalem being the place where Bible prophecy reaches its climax. And these things must come to pass in order that the end might come. When I was there, and again, I want to just encourage you, and I hope you'll be as blessed as I was when I was there. I just had this sense that, and there's something that takes place, but for those that have been to Israel and specifically to Jerusalem, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a spiritual place in 
our hearts as Christians. And it's so life-changing. And as I'm standing there looking out over the city and the sun is setting, the sun just reminded me, a much-needed reminder, do you see Jerusalem? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. You have no idea how soon and how close it is. I reluctantly say this because I always get comments that I just think, man, I didn't say that. I even have to go back and listen to what I said, which I hate to do, by the way. I can't stand to listen to myself. If the Lord wants to discipline me, He makes me listen to myself. That is torture. But I just go back and make sure I didn't say what they say I said. So I'm prefacing this by saying that. I had this sense, and please don't misunderstand me, I had this sense when I was in Jerusalem that it would be the last time that I would see Jerusalem on this earth. Not the new Jerusalem. (laughs) But it was just this sense that that's how close the Lord's return is. I'm not setting dates. Please do not email me or say, Judy said Jesus is coming back before he goes to Israel again. I better leave that right there and just let the Holy Spirit take it from there. Well, all good things must come to an end, as they say. And the tour had to come to an end, but not before the gathering together at the garden tomb, which is, for many, present company included, one of the most powerful experiences in any trip to Israel. When you walk in that tomb, and that tomb is empty, and it's not even completed, and there's no forensic evidence of any bodily decay in that tomb, which is unthinkable to have a tomb in the garden that close in proximity to Golgotha, the skull, Calvary, the hill that the Savior was crucified on. I mean, it's unmistakably, as far as I'm concerned, the place, the tomb that the Savior lay for three days before He rose again from the dead. I'll never forget the first time I walked in, I just was so overcome with emotion. I walked out of there, and my life was changed forever. Now, whenever I take a group there, and they go in that tomb, I just like to kind of hang back and just watch them as they come out. And that makes it all worthwhile, just that that moment. So after the tomb, and then, of course, Golgotha, Mount Calvary, we then go to this area there in the garden tomb area, and we partake together of communion. And I cannot think of a better way to end any time in Israel. I think it's most fitting. And I say that because of the four words aforementioned at the beginning. It's a taste of heaven. Do you realize that in that upper room, that Passover celebration, that Last Supper as we affectionately refer to it, this was the Savior's way of saying, I want to give you a taste of what's to come. When we 
read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, Jesus no less than two times says, I eagerly await when we partake together again, and this finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. That's the wedding feast of the Lamb. On that night when he broke that bread and had them drink from that same cup, it was that common union, that lifelong bond even unto death, namely his death, that they were commemorating and celebrating as the Passover prophecy had foretold. You understand, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but maybe it's appropriate to just sort of you know share this at this juncture. You have to understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover. What was the Passover? It was when the Israelites were delivered out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. That tenth plague, very interesting. The firstborn son would die. Think about that. Unless they would take a lamb, inspect it for four days, which was the exact amount of time that Jesus, as the Passover lamb, was on trial and found without spot, blemish, or wrinkle, without sin. And on that specific hour, the ninth hour, they were to slay that lamb, break the body, the skin, shed the blood, take a hyssop branch, place it, that blood, on the doorposts of their house. So the angel of death in that tenth plague would pass over and they would not perish, the firstborn son. However, in order to fulfill that prophecy, the first begotten son, the only begotten son of God, would have to perish and die in our stead with his blood shed. And oh, by the way, throughout the Old Testament, Whenever the high priest would offer the wave offering, they would go north, south, east, west, shape of a cross. When the Israelites placed that blood on their doorpost, top, basin at the bottom, side, side, shape of a cross. One of the most intriguing types of the cross, the crucifixion, even before the Romans would invent crucifixion, is found in the book of Numbers, the 22nd chapter, we have an interesting story about this donkey that talks. I like donkeys that talk because I think God speaks through this donkey. If God can speak through a donkey, God can speak through me, right? But he speaks to Balaam and says, why are you doing this? See, he was paid big bucks by this Balak to curse the Israelites, but couldn't. Even when he tried, and would try to pronounce a curse upon them, only a blessing, and not just a blessing, but I mean a grand and glorious, and you can read it in numbers, it is so beautiful and so eloquent. God is just blessing his people. Why couldn't he curse them for the life of him? Why could he not curse them? Because. Numbers chapter 6. Thanks for joining us for this special edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kariohe. Now, it's so important that you hear the purpose behind these prophecy updates that Pastor J.D. shares. 
The purpose is to see people just like you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. When you're right with the Lord, you'll be ready for the Lord and His soon return. You can do this by first admitting you're a sinner, that you've broken God's perfect law. Second, you need to confess that there's nothing you can do to fix this. You can't attend church enough, you can't pray enough or give enough money. There's nothing you can do to atone for your sins. Third, you must realize that there is someone who can. His name is Jesus Christ, and He is the Savior of the world. He gave His own life so that you wouldn't have to experience the penalty for your sins, which is death. Please, if you're listening today, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and escape the realities of the prophecies that are being fulfilled all around you. For more information about what it means to be born again into the kingdom of God, log on to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and select the New Believers option. Again, that web address is InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Now, in the next edition of In Spirit and Truth, Pastor J.D. will be teaching through God's Word just like he does Monday through Thursday. And then don't forget to join us next Friday and Saturday for another timely prophecy update. Until then, may God bless you and keep you in his love.